When governments play God, civilizations burn in hell. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I'm Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we have got a great read. Robert Breedlove, uh, just a day, day and a half ago now, has dropped an amazing piece about, about the very concepts of free trade and human organization. Uh, and it's another great one. Uh, and uh, we're going to get right into it. A big thank you, though, to HexaWallet, our sponsor for the show. And I got to admit, with this most recent update, and it being so much smoother, I may be moving to this as my sole Bitcoin wallet. I am really excited about this, and I've already been using it a lot because of the in-app batching. Um, but the ability to you know, send to savings, send to my caravan like multi-sig, to send to a contact or somebody that I'm paying back, and then send to like Breeze to open a channel in a single transaction that's really hard to beat, and I literally can't do that with any other wallet. Um, so uh, just another major shout-out to those guys. Obviously, a thank you for supporting the show, but I am super excited about the future of this wallet. And uh, hint, hint, uh, wink, wink, there is a Swan Bitcoin integration uh, coming on the horizon. So if you do your auto-stacking with Swan Bitcoin, by the way, swanbitcoin.com slash guy, uh, is definitely the best way to do that and support this show. Uh, but you should definitely be auto-stacking. We are moving into a bull market. you got to be passively stacking your Bitcoin with Swan Bitcoin. But they are going to actually be integrated right into the Hexa wallet. And I'm super excited about that. But it's not here yet. I'm just, I'm just a little extra giddy and have a hard time shutting my mouth when I'm excited about something. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get into today's read again by Robert Breedlove. And it is titled, Our Most Brilliant Idea. Ideas ambulate humanity across history. A new and useful idea is an innovation which can benefit everyone for the rest of time. Therefore, it is critical we construct socioeconomic structures conducive to the creation of new ideas. Civilization can only advance amid an everlasting flow of fresh knowledge. Free trade is the means by which we maximize ideation and its physical manifestation, wealth creation. Anything that impedes trade, like central banking, is by definition a terrible idea. Contrarily, all accelerants to free trade, like money, are among the most brilliant ideas we've ever had. Ideas drive economics. Quote, A pile of rocks ceases to be so when somebody contemplates it with the idea of a cathedral in mind. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry Ideas are the origins of everything we say, do, or make. The purpose of any economy is to generate and share useful ideas through free trade 
to achieve what economists call the division of labor or knowledge specialization. Civilization emerges not by an aimless concourse of variation, but rather it is molded in the image of our ideas, which we express through action to remake the face of the earth. Better ideas, or sharper knowledge, equip mankind to more intelligently harness the gifts of the earth to satisfy his wants to ever higher degrees in ever less time. In ideological space, competition is free and fierce. Only the most useful ideas survive the test of time. Resultant knowledge encodes the patterns of action we use to etch our imaginations into the world around us. Winning ideas are chosen by the market, only to be widely distributed as material riches, finer manners and morals, and more profound art. Our lives are lived enacting our ideas. As H. G. Wells said, Human history is, in essence, a history of ideas. Or, as William Durant elaborates, History as a laboratory rich in a hundred thousand experiments in economics, religion, literature, science, and government. History as our roots and our illumination, as the road by which we came and the only light that can clarify the present and guide us into the future. Pouring forth from our forebears is this civilizing heritage of ideas, sharpened through free trade and expressed in the tools, techniques, and cultures we make for ourselves. As we trade, our ideas become better, giving everything we say, do, or make more want-satisfying qualities. Consider how our language has evolved, from grunts to enunciations, or how our behaviors have been shaped by culture or how our transportation technologies have progressed from wagons to airplanes. Substantive ingredients for all modern miracles surrounding us today have always been available, but prior to their invention, we simply lacked the ideas necessary to manifest them. As the living generation responsible for ideation, our aim must be to forge our ideas into finer form of posterity an aim we accomplish through innovation. Innovation is simply a reconfiguration of the raw materials of nature by indexing them to our most useful idea structures. Said differently, creativity is taking known elements and reassembling them in accordance with new knowledge. Sharpening knowledge to better satisfy ourselves requires fires from the ideological collisions and frictions innate to trade. Trade, then, is mankind's meta-idea, the generative idea of all of our best ideas. Meta, from the Greek meta, meaning after or beyond, is a prefix meaning more comprehensive or transcending. Trade is an idea about improving ideas. It presupposes that anyone may know something everyone else does not incentivizes them to teach the rest of us, and lets us all capitalize on any such learning opportunities. Trade indicates to us whether we are ill-informed in the pursuit of a goal, which can save us from harm or help us achieve it more easily. Wealth generation is inseparable from ideation. The more we know, the more effortlessly we satisfy our present and potential future wants through innovation.
and the more wealth we gain. Author Matt Ridley captures the spirit of this relationship between free trade and innovation in these words. Innovation is the child of freedom and the parent of prosperity. Free market capitalism is an idea unequaled in its generation of innovation. It proved itself as the most successful economic model for expanding trade, ideation, and wealth creation in the 20th century ideological contention between American capitalism and Soviet communism. Misguided by utopian promises, Soviet Russia attempted to replace the profit motive intrinsic to American capitalism with appeals to nationalistic faith and devotion, thereby poisoning the wellspring of learning engendered by trade. Under the moralistic camouflage of communism, from each according to their ability to each according to their needs, was the Marxist slogan, some of the most gruesome atrocities in history were perpetrated. Soon into the Soviet experiment, productivity collapsed and millions starved or were slaughtered by the state. When governments play God, civilizations burn in hell. Soviet Russia rediscovered what wise Aristotle had warned centuries earlier. When everybody owns everything, nobody takes care of anything. American capitalism outcompeted Soviet communism. Capitalism is a socio-economic system premised on the three pillars of private property rights, rule of law, and honest money. Private property rights represent an exclusive relationship between individuals and any portion of nature they invest their time in reshaping. Rights they can then exchange with similarly self-sovereign people. Rule of law is a mechanism for non-violently resolving private property disputes. Honest money is the private property unimpeded market processes naturally select as most tradable. Since capitalism optimizes for trade, it supports this generative source of new ideas by incentivizing economic cooperation and peaceful competition. Indeed, the stability of rules is the bedrock of peace. With fixed and simple laws, market participants are forced to play the game well to make an honest living. As Bastiat said, when goods don't cross borders, soldiers will. In an elemental sense, trade is the water that sustains innovation, and its steadfast flow a source of peace. Capitalism is the socio-economic water well built to protect this everlasting ideological wellspring of civilization. Trade. The Idea Supercomputer Quote, Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. Eleanor Roosevelt As the ultimate token of trade, money is an indispensable tool for ideation. In trade, everything is valued at some ratio of everything else. For instance, a car might be worth 132 chairs or a house worth 11 cars. Money is the medium through which we more easily calculate these exchange ratios, a tool that simplifies trade by standardizing its intermediation. Like all tools, money lets us achieve greater results with less efforts, 
and the time savings tools impart is wealth. Specifically, money lets us calculate, negotiate, and execute trades more quickly. Without money, a constant recalculation of countless exchange ratios among different economic goods would be necessary. With money, all exchange ratios are compressed into a single number, the money expressed market price. In this way, money is an accelerant to trade and its invisible twin, ideation. Standardization to one money creates economies of scale in trade. Such economization is what drives the market to coalesce around a single money, as we saw with gold and its former currency abstraction and now apparition, the U.S. dollar. Paper is poverty. It is only the ghost of money and not money itself. Thomas Jefferson Money is the medium through which market participants express their ideas, preferences, and values. Pricing systems are economic telecommunications networks, endlessly echoing and coordinating market action by dynamically informing everyone of everyone else's trades. For instance, when you buy a car and sell a house, the economy responds adaptively by producing more cars and less houses. Even when you buy a public equity, you are expressing the idea its expected future cash flows are worth more than its current price. And the marketplace absorbs this thesis when you execute the trade. Price signals perpetually prime incentives to ensure resources are allocated in accordance with the current aggregate composition of market participant preferences. Entrepreneurs engaging in trade give rise to truthful pricing as they strive to buy low, sell high, and profitably serve one another. A true free market is a forum of unhampered and voluntary exchange where ideas compete, combine, and transform. Seen this way, the free market may be considered the ultimate distributed computing system a nexus of consciousnesses driven by human action and interconnected by prices. Tweet from Robert Breedlove A human mind can process about 120 bits per second. The Fed's roughly 20,000 employees can process 18 trillion bits per year. The world's 7.5 billion people can process 6.8 quintillion bits per year. The free market is 3.8 million percent more intelligent than the Fed. Buy Bitcoin because math. Money improves the extensibility of our minds. Thinking is an expression of rationality, the act of comparing all relevant factors to any course of action. By cognitively generating different aspects and avatars, Relevant to any given situation, humans create mental staging areas for future action. As with the root word of rationality, ratio, thinking involves contrasting one thing against another. When we extend our thinking into money, we gain insight into the collective mind of other market participants through price signals, which themselves are expressions of rationality 
ratios of exchange denominated in monetary terms. By consolidating the rationality of all market actors into the market price, ideation explodes. In this way, free markets are idea-generating supercomputers. This is why American innovation is unrivaled. Mankind makes the world his own by channeling energy across the ideological field lines fashioned in his extended mind, the free market. Free markets are free thinking. Man's mind, once stretched by a new idea, never regains its original dimensions. Oliver Wendell Holmes Contrary to popular misconception, money is not a government creation. Money is emergent. It is simply the most tradable good in any given market. As people seek to satisfy their wants through trade, they steadily seek to trade their goods for more tradable goods to get closer to obtaining the objects they desire. As this process unfolds, a certain asset gains the highest liquidity, whether it is salt, cattle, or gold. This most exchangeable good is, by definition, money. Money, then, is an inexorable outcome of free trade. As global markets converged, they coalesced around precious metals as money due to their superior monetary properties of durability, divisibility, portability, recognizability, and scarcity. Gold, which excelled all other metals in scarcity, became the dominant money of the world precisely because its supply was the least changeable. Central banks eventually co-opted gold and built a pyramid scheme on it called fiat currency. When central banks monopolized the market for money, it became unfree. Violating free market capitalism, as Soviet Russia learned the hard way, is a really bad idea. It runs countervailing to the natural human proclivity for trade, ideation, and wealth generation. As Marcus Aurelius poeticizes our capacity for collaboration, We were born to work together, like feet, hands, and eyes, like the two rows of teeth, upper and lower. To obstruct each other is unnatural. Clearly, obstructing the ability of market participants to express their ideas through trade is a breakdown in the rules of capitalism. All frictions on free trade are dissipative to both innovation and wealth creation. A true capitalist society necessitates unbreakable rules of trade, such as equitable rule of law, inviolable private property rights, and unstoppable honest money. In such a pure capitalistic system, individuals would have no way to create value for themselves other than giving society what it wants, even if its wants are as yet unarticulated. But our over-regulated world today is a far cry from this ideal. All regulations are limitations on free market forces that constrict ideation and its physical manifestation, wealth creation. The ultimate expression of legal regulation is monopolization, in which all peaceful competition is suppressed through coercion or violence. In the world today, the market for money is not a free market, as it is forcibly dominated by cartels of central banks, legal monopolies that distort prices, reduce trade, and interrupt ideation, 
Tellingly, central banking was also a key component of Soviet communism. An exclusive state-owned banking monopoly was the fifth measure in Marx's 1848 Manifesto to the Communist Party. True capitalism has never existed precisely because the rules of money have always become twisted by interventionists pursuing their own pecuniary gain in every market known to history. Legal impediments erected by governments to insulate central bank monopolies on money from free market capitalism are manifold. Such artifice destroys accountability, ingenuity, and virtue. The more laws, the less justice. Marcus Tullius Cicero With unbreakable capitalistic rules, the quote, game of macroeconomics would impose an organizing principle onto humanity, encouraging us to find better ways of saying, doing, or making things by betting against each other in the marketplace as opposed to lying, stealing, or taxing. When rules cannot break, Play is fair, and want satisfactions escalate. As, quote, players prove one another wrong in the marketplace by discovering and selling better means of satisfying wants, the resultant productivity gains diffuse into society through trade. An environment conducive to continuous learning at scale is cultivated through capitalism. Said differently, when ideas compete freely, more wealth is created most often in the form of better tools, services, or knowledge. Mises describes this inextricable relationship between ideation and market competition in his masterwork, Human Action. Quote, But competition does not mean that anybody can prosper by simply imitating what other people do. It means the opportunity to serve the customers in a better or cheaper way, without being restrained by privileges granted to those whose vested interests the innovation hurts. What a newcomer who wants to defy the vested interest of the old established firms needs most is brains and ideas. If his project is fit to fill the most urgent of the unsatisfied needs of the consumers or to purvey them at a cheaper price than their old purveyors, he will succeed in spite of the much-talked-of-bigness and power of old firms. To use Ray Dalio's term, free markets are idea meritocracies, unhampered trade networks that incentivize the cultivation and infusion of the best ideas into civilization. Implicit in the meta-idea is the presupposition that innovation can only be nurtured, not legislated. Here, the ignorance of MMT advocates clamoring for, quote, the activation of idle capital through inflation rears its head. Proceeds from theft via inflation can mobilize people and capital, but only in an unintelligent way, since bureaucrats lack both the accountability and distributed computing power endogenous to the free market. And only until this parasitization of value from the productive economy kills it. In simple economic terms, free markets make mankind more productive. Monopolies, or unfree markets, make mankind less productive. Further, the condition of our collective mind closely mirrors the state of our money. We only think in dollars today because they were once redeemable for gold. Central banks have hijacked 
the monetary extensibility of our minds, the old bait-and-switch tactic, and corrupted our capacity to perceive the world clearly. Quote from Robert Breedlove. Consensus on the accuracy of prices is essential to economic coordination. Price signals are to entrepreneurs what light is to eyesight, the medium which informs perceptions. Central banks disturb this perceptual faculty by counterfeiting currency, a crime against humanity. Free minds need freely selected money. By embracing a free market paradigm in the totality of our actions, we become more free-thinking, intelligent, and wealthy. Another way to think about the free market is as a system of error detection and correction. Through prices, it incentivizes the discovery and resolution of unsatisfied wants, socioeconomic errors. Central bank-induced inflation distorts this error-correcting system and causes dissatisfactions to swell. This market manipulation is ostensibly justified by the self-deceptive intentionality of central bankers to, quote, manage the economy, as if any human had ever successfully managed any complex system without triggering a cascade of unintended consequences. Conviction in the utility of their necessarily limited knowledge, as opposed to the free market processes which continually revivify knowledge, is the black core of central bank malevolence as John Milton, author of Paradise Lost, brilliantly observed, Evil is the force that believes its knowledge is complete. Central banks could repent merely by admitting this gargantuan error in ideology and letting the free market clear its 100-plus years of errors. This would be painful at first, but undoubtedly in the long-term best interests of civilization like a drug addict finally entering rehabilitation. But hubris and greed will almost certainly prevent such an ideal outcome. To summarize the argument, free market pricing is an error-clearing system, and central banking ameliorates its capacity for error detection and correction. Acting as if its knowledge of markets is complete, central banking is evil incarnate, an institution of economic tyranny as misguided as Soviet Russia. In the ideological sphere, freedom is as creative as tyranny is destructive. The Greatest Idea of History An idea is salvation by imagination. Frank Lloyd Wright Quintessential to the idea of any money is that both present and future market participants will freely accept it in trade. The likelihood of a money to be accepted by the broadest possible set of trading partners is largely based on how reliably it maintains its scarcity across time. To maximize this store of value function, a money must be resistant to misappropriation, whether by inflation, counterfeit, or confiscation, all of which are theft. The money most resistant to involuntary exchange, a.k.a. theft, tends to become the most widely adopted voluntary medium of exchange. Put another way, in the free market competition, the most theft-proof money wins. Those who erroneously choose a less theft-proof money are disfavored by market processes when their wealth is compromised 
by thieves through inflation, counterfeiting, or confiscation. Another way to say it, market participants adopt the money which minimizes the need to trust one another. Central banks continue to hoard gold because it is trust-minimized money. Bitcoin exhibits even greater trust minimization qualities and is therefore disruptive to gold. Tweet by Robert Breedlove Bitcoin is disruptive to gold, governments, and global warfare. In Bitcoin's wake, gold once again becomes a shiny industrial metal. Governments once again become localized private protection services. And global warfare finally becomes a relic of the central banking era. Money is the best idea we have ever had. For without it, all the other marvelous ideas generated by markets would not exist. As the most tradable thing, money is the highest instantiation of our meta-idea, offering us unbridled optionality in market exchange. As a technology, free market-selected money maximizes both human freedom and cooperation. Historically, gold reduced the incentives to violence because it was a more securable form of wealth than food, land, and most other assets. In this way, gold greatly constricted the scope of assets worth fighting over, thereby inducing unparalleled social cooperation, trade, and wealth generation. This has profound moral implications, too. When money is hard to steal, society becomes hard-working. When it is easy to steal, society drifts toward kleptocracy. Let me state the argument in a single sentence. Gold was the greatest tool we ever had to incentivize ourselves to civilize ourselves. If the aim of humanity is to build civilizations, then our most brilliant idea was the use of gold as money. The global gold standard improved trade, our meta-idea, in a trust-minimized way and standardized the world to a single monetary protocol, thereby maximizing time savings in trade and its associated wealth creation, two sides of the same coin. Again, wealth creation is absolutely dependent on ideation. Using gold as money led the world into an unequaled effulgence of novel ideas and innovations, ushering in an era known colloquially as both the Gilded Age and La Belle Epoque. A brilliant idea indeed, but far from perfect. Because gold is physical, it is still vulnerable to theft. And because gold is heavy, economies of scale related to its use as money led to the centralization of its custody in bank vaults, since it is cheaper to transact in paper abstractions of gold than physical gold. An anti-capitalist institution, the central bank, festered around the centralized gold hoards. These deceptive and evil institutions operate with flagrant disregard for the tenets of capitalism. Central banks are above the law practice perpetual private property confiscation via inflation, and peddle the most dishonest money in history. All central bank business models are critically dependent on the divisibility, portability, and recognizability shortcomings of gold. If gold were perfectly divisible, 
there would be no reason to abstract it into paper currency. If gold were perfectly portable, it would be encoded as information and there would be no need to place trust in banking custodians as final settlement could be conducted at the speed of light. If gold were perfectly recognizable, there would be no economic gain from the public stamp of national currencies as anyone could verify the veracity of money themselves instantaneously. Indeed, these technological failings of gold formed the attack surface repeatedly exploited by central banks. Fortunately, the citizens of the 21st century, free trade, which has been exponentially enhanced by the internet and digital technologies, has generated an even more brilliant idea that promises a permanent ending to the thieving schemes of central banks. The Greatest Idea of Modernity There's one thing stronger than all the armies in the world, and that is an idea whose time has come. Victor Hugo America was founded on the three pillars of free market capitalism, private property rights, rule of law, and honest money. The American Constitution authorized states to issue gold or silver currency, outlawed the income tax, and prohibited national central banking. Unfortunately, upon successful implementation of the American Central Bank, after two failed attempts, the private property rights foundational to free market capitalism became vulnerable to limitless violation via inflation. An example of this failure came with the Great Gold Robbery of 1933, a.k.a. Executive Order 6102, an unconstitutional decree and blatant violation of private property rights. All government decrees by fiat are lies, including fiat currency, for truth need never be forced. Free market forces always zero in on truth. Robert Breedlove Tweet Bitcoin is f you money. It gives free people the power to say f you to every policy, politician, and police state in the world. America is an idea worth fighting for. Let's get socialism out of our money. Bitcoin is the ideological synthesis of gold and the internet. It perfectly exemplifies the three pillars of free market capitalism undergirding the idea of America in a form that cannot be perverted by fiat decree. As its money supply cannot be changed, its holders are immune to confiscation via inflation, thus perfecting their private property rights. Pillar 1. Disputes within the Bitcoin network are settled consensually, and it is impractical to employ violence in an attempt to sway this process, thus perfecting the process of nonviolent dispute resolution embodied by the rule of law, pillar number two. By perfecting these first two pillars of free market capitalism, Bitcoin is a self-fulfilling prophecy predestined to perfect its final pillar by becoming the final evolution in free market selected honest money, pillar three. As the only sacrosanct money in existence, Bitcoin is purified capitalism, a permanent implementation of the soundest socioeconomic water well in history. Competition and collaboration are the trades of life. Conservatism of energy is truth. Organizations, methods, and tools that accomplish the greatest results with the least effort tend toward dominance, 
as they are willingly embraced by market participants whose, quote, skin is in the game. Strict adherence to thermodynamic principles is a way all natural systems grow. There is no other way. Monies, moralities, and strategies which best amplify productivity outcompete on the free market for ideas. Submission to this truth is freedom. Bitcoin is a system that minimizes competitive asymmetries by maximizing accountability and thereby incentivizes fair play and error clearing in the market. Modeled on the unbreakable rules of the universe, thermodynamics, Bitcoin is best known for its meteoric growth pattern. We are what we build, and we build what we are. Ideation and wealth creation are mere expressions of life's central impulse, growth. Without adequate levels of exchange, growth of organisms and economies deteriorate. On this point, nature is ruthlessly clear. When you're finished changing, you're finished. As we age, we experience a slowing of blood flow, which presages a breakdown of body and mind. Physical exercise can provide some protection by increasing our metabolic exchange of oxygen, water, and nutrients, thereby keeping us smarter, healthier, and more energetic as we grow old. As William Durant eloquently describes his decline into senescence, it is a physiological and psychological involution. It is a hardening of the arteries and categories, an arresting of thought and blood. A man is as old as his arteries and as young as his ideas. What is true for the individual market participant microcosm is true for the global market macrocosm. Impeding free trade constricts ideological blood flow and makes the socioeconomic superorganism, aka humanity, more vulnerable to disease and death. Close-minded constituents conjure a buildup of misfitness to reality for the collective. Creating blockages to trade via regulation and confiscation, the implicit purpose of central banking, is cancerous to the free market paradigm that invigorates our economic vitality, social morality, and the advancement of civilization. All individuals seek to attain freedom, goods, and power for themselves. Governments are simply a multiplication of ourselves and our desires without external governance and armed with weapons of mass destruction. No amount of tears can wash away the blood that war sheds. Only practicality, properly implemented, can prevail. Absent a battle to fight, whether moral or physical, people become weaker. Arraying armies against an enemy gives people cause for unity. Perhaps Bitcoin will serve as a moral alternative to war, a peaceful yet disciplinary force on humanity. American pragmatist William James believed a, quote, moral equivalent of war was necessary to end its horrors. Quote, So far, war has been the only force that can discipline a whole community. And until an equivalent discipline is organized, I believe that war must have its way. If this proves true, Bitcoin would become a new organizing mode for civilization like a religion born from economic and computer science.
a wisdom tradition that defunds and destroys central bank war machines and ideologies. Warfare is Darwinism writ geopolitical, and its atrocities will be endless until all nations agree or are forced to yield their self-arrogated sovereignty to a higher authority, a, quote, superstate holding individual sovereignty as its axiomatic mantra. Bitcoin, a public utility that facilitates trade flows of private property, is the bridge between communistic utopianism and capitalistic pragmatism, and could grow to become the superstate to which all nations bend the knee. Perhaps this ultimate usurpation of the nation began with the Genesis block on day one, or perhaps it is still yet to transpire one day. For now, we can only say, Bitcoin is money. Money is the ultimate token of trade, and trade is mankind's meta-idea. Whatever wins as money on the free market is a brilliantly formulated civilizing idea. Capitalism is the socioeconomic system which optimizes for the expansion of trade's scope by respecting free market principles, foremost of which is individual sovereignty. Bitcoin, an honest money offering its holders inviolable private property rights and perfected rule of law, is the capstone innovation of capitalism. It is as if all trade throughout history led us to the emergence of this idea, an unstoppable, incorruptible, and highly accessible money. Like ideas, Bitcoin exhibits non-corporeality, virality, and anti-fragility. It can be moved at the speed of light and stored in the mind. By virtue of its resistance to theft and rootedness in the thermodynamics of work, Bitcoin portals us into a world of untold liberty, elevated morality, and enhanced productivity. Bitcoin gives us the freedom to trade without central bank interference, store our wealth in a place resistant to seizure, and to embrace truth in a world drowning in deception. Considered in combination, these ideas make Bitcoin mankind's most brilliant idea yet a salvific foundation on which we can build a future civilization characterized by more ingenuity, morality, and prosperity. Quote, Salvation, to see each thing for what it is, its nature and its purpose, to do only what is right, say only what is true, without holding back. What else could it be but to live life fully, to pay out goodness like the rings of a chain, without the slightest gap. Marcus Aurelius Thank you for reading Our Most Brilliant Idea. And that closes it out. Now at the bottom of this, and I'll try to, uh, maybe I'll just link to this in the show notes. Uh, I mean, obviously I'll link to the article. But um, also, he's got a, if you haven't checked it out, he just recently, like, really started hard on his YouTube channel. There's a lot of great stuff up there. Um, and uh, he's got the link uh, posted here. Obviously, his Twitter account. Um, uh, if you want to use his uh, referral link, my, it's swanbitcoin.com slash breedlove. Um, obviously, you can use swanbitcoin.com slash guy. Support either one of us or both of us, your choice. 
but regardless, you should be auto stacking with Swan Bitcoin either way. Um, and uh, he's also got uh, a bunch of different lightning uh, options. He's got Tippin.me and then Strike, uh, and both of those are Breedlove22. Um, so I'll have the Tippin.me slash uh, Breedlove22 and Strike.me slash Breedlove22. Uh, so you can check those out. So if you want to throw some sats his way for putting this piece together, um, highly recommended. Uh, definitely support um, the the content creators here. You know, I'm just a middleman. I am just reading this amazing work. So massive shout out and thank you to Breedlove for putting this piece together. This one is just chock full of some fascinating, fascinating concepts. I really wish I had more time to go through this one but we're already at 44 minutes and it is already late in the day and i've got prior obligations but i do want to hit just kind of go through some of the main ideas of this piece that i just really thought hit the idea home so well first is just the 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 thesis of this piece which i would say trade is about improving ideas trade is the exchange of ideas in their actual implementation not ideas in their ethereal abstract, oh, things could be good and this is my intent, but ideas in reality. Ideas embedded in reality and uh, priced in the real world. Like under a system of honest money, the prices do not reflect, do not reflect our political version of what we think it should be. It reflects the truth of what it means to us with skin in the game boots on the ground, the knowledge of the individual and the trade-offs of the individual. And they are real trade-offs because money can only be obtained by earning it. Um, well, at least it minimizes any money obtained through theft, taxation, inflation, counterfeiting, any of those things, which are just all dif different versions of theft, which uh, just is r such a good idea and hitting kind of at the heart of this entire uh, uh, this entire article like basically works from that premise. And this quote early on is just one of the coolest, coolest ways to, to illustrate that is that trade, quote, trade is an idea about improving ideas. It presupposes that anyone may know something that everyone else does not incentivizes them to teach the rest of us and lets us all capitalize on any such learning opportunities. And this is at the heart of it. You can never know who knows what. And just because somebody is an expert or because somebody has studied something has nothing to do with whether or not they are right or wrong. The ideas must be tested in the real world. And inevitably, everybody who is an expert is going to believe an entire list of things that are not true because somebody with a new perspective and in a completely different position challenged the fundamental theories of whatever it is we thought. There is never a time in history in which that won't be true given enough time. And the more we put central institutions and central powers into forcing them into the decision-making process, the less we are taking use of knowledge. Uh, and going back to the piece by Hayek, like still one of my favorite pieces in economics to this day, uh, the use of knowledge in society. Um, it is not merely that somebody is an expert and maybe knows how this industry works or this, that, or the other, but that there is 
an entire ocean of information which only exists within the specific time that it is relevant and to the specific person who knows it. So like somebody who is working in a business and knows which employee can be counted on for which specific process or who is most trustworthy because they have a close relationship with these people or somebody who knows about a close friend or somebody in the local area who has a supply of something when prices have shifted greatly in that market and therefore can meet demand when no one else could do so or when somebody in some distant boardroom could not possibly have any knowledge of any of this or take advantage of a a, a, a price like an arbitrage opportunity that only lasts for hours. There's, this is a whole ocean. We're talking about an economy that uh, is taking account of new information, new supply, and new demand every second, billions of times a day, just over and over and over again. And that this creates an aggregate pricing system, a, a basically a signal um, that aggregates all of this information. Like Hayek says, a price is the most information-dense uh, gauge that we have on economic decisions. To destroy that is beyond idiotic. And the only reason it is an aggregate of all of this information presupposes an honest money, something that can't be cheated, and the fact that it is being dictated, that it is being governed by the individual skin-in-the-game choices of billions of market participants, not some boardroom that's just coming up with some political intent or value that they think everyone else should have, but that the people who actually earned it and actually has to compare the labor that they took to get and the resources that they had to say no to in order to say yes to this other thing, that is where the value is determined. It necessitates that no one is in control of it for it to actually be accurate. This is the foundation of wealth creation. And that is what free markets are all about. It is, it is, a, it is a machine of, uh, it is a system of innovation. And what's funny is so, so many people talk about how, oh, capitalism is a dog-eat-dog -dog world and it puts us in competition and at each other's throats and blah, blah, blah. And the truth is so clearly the exact opposite, is that the only way that you can get ahead in the market is to provide other people with a service. Like Apple and, you know, Samsung may be in competition with each other, but they are in competition to provide everyone in the economy with the most valuable thing. And let's say Apple can do it 10 times better at half the price, then all it does is put out of business Samsung's outdated, inefficient model, which necessarily means it is not wasting twice the resources to do the same job. They are not in competition with society. They are not in competition with civilization. They are in a competition of ideas on how to create prosperity. And that which creates more prosperity succeeds. But just like Breedlove talked about in this article, is that this is dependent on the pillars of uh, the pillars of the free market system that, when corrupted, when polluted, they don't work. The whole thing collapses.
This doesn't work without honest money. In fact, honest money, the which he refers to as the third pillar, but then basically makes clear later on, is the foundation for the first two pillars. Like, they are, it's, it's circular. They are dependent on each other. Without honest money, you cannot have private property and you cannot have consistent, reliable rule of law because money is uh, a part of the law of the economy. It is the, it is the subset of value-determining rules around uh, property itself and around uh, economic trade. Essentially, in a, in a sense, that if you, if you screw with any single pillar, all three of them fall. You know, it's like a tripod. Nothing stands up on it. If you've got, you know, you can't just have two of them and think that you, oh, we're good. We're good. We'll figure it out. And as soon as you put the entire structure into a centrally controlled system, a politically decided um, uh, set of rules or a uh, politically decided pricing system where they just pick winners and losers or they just pick who gets confiscated from, how much money is counterfeited, um, everything. It just turns the entire thing into this corrupt, poisonous thing that just slowly slowly destroys society or quickly you know depends on the degree the degree of control and how uh how bad they force the imbalances on society um you you know usually gradually then suddenly um but one of the one of the best quotes in this whole thing that just kills it is when governments play god civilizations burn in hell oof such a good one such a good one um, and that is what they are doing to 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 pretend that you can just dictate the outcomes or the results of a massive, complex, interoperative system of values and exchange. That is playing God. That is pretending to be omnipotent and operating as if as if you can do no wrong. That whatever those in government know. That is all that needs to be known, and that is all that is relevant, and it will dictate the inputs and the outputs of the economy, which is just so maddeningly arrogant and obviously stupid. It's, it's hard to comprehend. And this is where people get our current society and its ills so disastrously wrong is we do not live under capitalism. We live under a massive monetary socialist state. And it is one of the fundamental pillars of capitalism that has been poisoned top to bottom. There is nothing about it. And it, the, it's the fifth pillar, which is funny because I, I don't know why I forget to mention this, but it's something that like is so obviously true um, that it is the fifth pillar of the Communist Manifesto is that you have to have a central bank, you have to have government-dictated money, and you have to inst uh, instill a full monopoly on it uh, for, for the state apparatus. And, and that's it. Like It is critical to uh, the entire structure because it is one of those foundational things. It is one of those things that enables the control and the power to sustain or enforce the other pillars of a socialist state. But as soon as you poison the money, as soon as you... You break down the honesty, the rule of law, and the property aspects of money. It can no longer serve its purpose. Um, and there's another, there's another great, great quote. I think it's actually next one in this thing. Where is it? Yes. Okay. Quote. 
without money, a constant recalculation of countless exchange ratios among different economic goods would be necessary. With money, all exchange ratios are compressed into a single number, the money expressed market price. In this way, money is an accelerant to trade and its invisible twin, ideation. Standardization to one money creates economies of scale in trade. Such economization is what drives the market to coalesce around a single money. So what he's talking about here, and it's, it's a little bit skipping from the topic we, I was just hitting, um, but uh, is that money is, is the language of trade and exchange. And he talks about the fact that it's from rationality, the idea of a ratio. Um, and I, I thought that was a really cool, a really cool way to explain it is that all of the value of money is in the fact that it works as the best ratio, as the best totem to compare other things. And is, it is explicitly because it is the most resistant to theft. It is the most resistant to non-skin in the game, non-accountable, non-earned valuation, which means that it's real valuation. It's valuation in a real market environment and therefore valuation based on actual uh, efficiency, actual betterment of somebody's life elsewhere um, in the economy and their explicit decisions to do A, B, or C instead of D, E, or F. Like the whole reason the economy works is because we are deciding what to do at the expense of what not to do to reach our ends, to make our own lives better. When you enter in a situation of somebody who can just counterfeit money indefinitely, then why do they, they don't have a trade-off. They don't have to pick between A, B, C, D, E, or F. They can just do whichever one they think gives them the, the, the most benefit without needing to trade off, without needing to say, oh, I'm not going to do this because they're confiscating and they are spending other people's wealth. And the quote unquote ratio to what they earned is meaningless because they never earned anything. It's all confiscation. So the value of the money is completely gone as soon as it is in their hands and they are spending money that is not theirs and therefore that they cannot necessarily know the value of. However, when you have honest money, when you have money that does work, the very reason it works, or the very reason it becomes money, is because it enables the entire economy to speak on the same ratio, to speak the same language, and it creates unparalleled efficiency and the combination and marriage of the broadest number of ideas. So it, it achieves innovation at, a, at an incredible scale. And remember that innovation and, and ideation are exponential things. They benefit from the network effect, just like it, the, the connections between ideas are equal to the connections between people. So just like a network is uh, N squared, right? It's the value of the number of connections between people within the network. That's the value of the network. So a network with one person is completely meaningless no matter how cool or how many features or wing digits the, the network has because there's nobody on it. But as soon as you, but when you add another person to the network, then the number of connections you have is that person with a potential connection to every other person on the network. So every single one person added 
is an additional number of connections to as many people as there are on the network. So one person being added when there is one person on the network creates one connection. Whereas one person being added to the network when there are a million people on the network creates a million new connections. This is why communication protocols tend toward one, because the bigger they are, the more valuable each new connection is. And this is, this is basically doubly true of money because it's got even stronger network effects and there is the explicit um, there's the explicit trade-off of holding money within the network or value within the network because any individual standard, any individual piece of value can only exist in one place at once. You can't like copy and paste and have value in two things at the exact same time. So going back, taking that analogy and going back to money here and ideation is that the number of ideas that can interact and be created in an economy with or in a uh, in a money in a monetary standard with a million people is vastly more capable than something that has a hundred thousand people because what you have is more ideas to interact and more explicit practical implementations of a concept that can be compared to another explicit practical implementation of a concept of, of an idea. It is essentially only because we have this universal ratio to weigh the, the output and the prosperity created from one idea against the prosperity and value created from another idea that we can actually make the judgments of what ideas to pursue. Because rather than only having the input of a couple of people in your immediate area or someone that you can bargain with, you have this universal ratio that accounts for billions of people's valuation of those concepts and the prosperity produced from these new innovations. And understand, this is our only way to objectively measure any of this. Like, the, the thing about, like, Soviet communism is the, the hilariousness of uh, how the Soviets actually did their central planning was that the only reason it lasted for any length of time at all is because they based their arbitrary pricing off of U.S. market prices. It's the only reason they had any semblance of uh, comparative value was just because they were just bootlegging prices off of a real market somewhere else. They're just like, oh, we don't know. We don't know how to compare a chair to a car. Like, we're just assigning arbitrary numbers. It's like, well, what does the U.S. say? What, what, you know, how much does it cost for a chair and a car over there? Okay, well, we'll just assign that. Hayek talks about that. It is the pretense of knowledge. It is only because of the market that we even have something to start with. It is the foundation for deciding to, to even complain about something being wrong in the comparison, which again is uh, its, its own version of arrogance is to like, so you know better than the billions of people who worked to make this explicit trade-off to not buy this thing and instead buy this other thing or to uh, solve their problem in this explicit way because they know exactly how much labor and how much value and how much blood, sweat, and tears went into uh, the, the ratio measure of completing project A, B, or C, and they therefore know that if D doesn't really give them a whole lot of value they're just not going to they're just not going to make that trade-off they know what went into it 
And how could someone possibly be so arrogant as to say, yes, I know better. I know so much better that I will force everyone to participate at my explicit demand. Now, I'd never actually heard the quote that he has from John Milton in Paradise Lost, uh, but God, that's such a great quote, <laughs> is evil is the force that believes its knowledge is complete. And damn it, if that's not true, that it is the ultimate hubris and greed that you have such profoundly accurate and uncontestable knowledge that you have the right to force slavery onto someone else to operate under the condition of what you know is true. Their trade-offs don't matter. Their lives don't matter. Their choice doesn't matter because your choice is so profoundly perfect that they are just stupid animals that you get to decide for. True greed is when I decide someone else must live their lives the way I think they should live it. That I hold my cheap external opinion as more valuable than the ownership they have of themselves. That is greed. That is hubris. And that is exactly what true private property and equal rule of law, reliable, stable rule of law, keeps in check. Because if there was ever anything universal about humanity, it's that we believe we are living the proper way and that other people are not. And a system that violates the rules or that or enables confiscation of resources or creates a rule of law that is variant, uh, politically decided, or applies to certain people differently than to other people, well, then it falls victim to exactly those sorts of things, which simply creates a staggering amount of errors and misallocations in the economic system. Uh, and that's, that is another fascinating analogy in this piece, that uh, just the free market is an error-clearing system. It identifies errors quickly and destroys their ability to be sustained, whereas something that can force confiscation of resources or uh, force a manipulation of prices at a fundamental level can sustain these errors for crazy extended periods of time until the entire thing is so flush, is so permeated with that error that the entire thing collapses. And that's where you get a situation where we are in today, is that where a, what should have been a single uh, isolated incident of a debt bubble, maybe to a specific industry or a specific, a specific set of time, gets manipulated into every single industry, gets mani manipulated into every single household, gets completely widespread and ubiquitous throughout the culture of an entire country. But well, check that, around the entire globe through a global financial system that is fundamentally manipulated and built on false signals, lies about the value of one thing in comparison to another, lies about what the cost of debt is. You get errors that just last for decades and build on top of each other and get worse and worse until ultimately the entire thing just has no legs left to stand on. There has been every single time the free market has tried with screaming alarm bells to fix the errors, to readjust 
the market prices of interest to cause massive deflation and credit defaults because we are so grossly overlevered. The central banks have come in and propped up the error, made the error that much more exacerbated, pushed it into that much worse of a territory, and continued to grow it in size. That's how we got here. Every single time the free market tried to correct the errors, the central bank and the governments came in and deleted and undid, worked their butts off to confiscate as much value from as many corners of the society as possible to cover up the error and allow it to persist. That is the story of the global financial system since 1970s. We have none of the core pillars of free markets. And it could not be more important that we have something like Bitcoin that can actually throw a wrench in this entire in this, this entire mess. There's another great quote towards the end of this. Um, All individuals seek to attain freedoms, goods, and power for themselves. And that government, government is simply a institutionalized mechanism for them to do so without the need to trade, without the need to innovate or share ideas on a free market economy or within a free market set of rules. Instead, it is a system of violence outside of those rules that allows the persistence of errors by enabling them freedom, the use over goods and resources, and power without any participation in the free market economy at all. It's, it's like a tool that multiplies our greed and our desires Without, without enforcing the requisite costs that come with having to do that on the free market and having to do it under a universal set of rules. And towards the end of this is, like, this is the whole idea of Bitcoin as an extranational, as a, a non-government system of private property, a non-state governance structure and system of monetary incorruptibility. And this quote just hits it spot on. Quote, Warfare is Darwinism writ geopolitical, and its atrocities will be endless until all nations agree or are forced to yield their self-arrogated sovereignty to a higher authority. A, quote, superstate holding individual sovereignty as its axiomatic mantra. Bitcoin, a public utility that facilitates trade flows of private property is the bridge between communistic utopianism and capitalistic pragmatism and could grow to become the superstate to which all nations bend the knee. Essentially, by, by being the, the, the deepest sets of protection of any property that exists, as we're talking, you know, compared to gold, or uh, land or anything like that. We talked about this in, I think it's the ARK Invest paper um, 10, 20 episodes ago. I, don't, I can't remember exactly how much now um, about the deep protection versus shallow protection of certain assets is that Bitcoin is like an order of magnitude deeper protection in the sense that it is non-physical non and any amount of it is roughly the exact same size. It is information in its purest sense that it's knowledge that the knowledge of its existence, of, of who owns it, can be completely hidden, that it can be stored in the mind, and that it can be transferred 
or well, it, it exists everywhere in the world at exactly the same time, and there is no institution that must require agreement for it to be yours. As long as you have the key, doesn't matter where the, whether the judge says it's yours, the president says it's yours, the, the, the leader of Russia says it's yours, the, it, it, just, it just doesn't matter. You are the only one who owns it because you are the only one with access to the key. Bitcoin is the one that determines who owns the property within the system. And the president, the judge, the, the legal system, whatever it is, must bend the knee. They either get the key or they don't get the coins. End of story. Bitcoin is the one that determines truth from falsehood, the owner from the non-owner. And it applies equally and universally to all participants in the system. It is the veritable poster child of reliable, consistent rule of law. And we could literally end up in a situation where its private property rights supersede all other legal and national rights. That is the revolutionary impact of this thing, is that nations will have to bend the knee. That the power for individuals to freely enter and exit any and all borders or nation states with any arbitrary amount of value and needing the permission of no one else, this could radically change the course of history. And I love the concept that this is kind of like, this is like the end game of free market capitalism, of the end game of innovation, the innovation that essentially spurs a whole new realm of innovation. Like, like you know how trade is the single idea that is an accelerant to all ideation and innovation. Well, a secure, independent money that requires trust in no other institution or person who inevitably would corrupt and abuse the money is, quote-unquote, the capstone innovation of capitalism. That the innovation of the market is to make private property more and more secure, to make the rule of law more and more perfected. And Bitcoin is truly a form of a codification of incontestable rule of law and highly secure property rights. Quote, It is as if all trade throughout history led us to the emergence of this idea, an unstoppable, incorruptible, and highly accessible money. End quote. And I don't think it's an exaggeration when, you know, like talking with John Vallis and Marty Bent and like all these people, like we talk about a new renaissance. And this is what we're talking about, to unleash all of this capped innovation, all of this inability to communicate and properly value things in comparison to other things, and to have to prop up all of these magnificent errors in the economy and lose all of these resources to misallocations and to destruction of value within, in the economy. To have all of that come rushing back, to have those errors finally cleared out, and to have us able to actually value ideas properly against any and all alternatives, and then to share and trade all of those ideas in a far greater, less manipulated market with accurate information. We are talking about a new renaissance. Money is the source of civilization, and the better the money, the more vibrant and prosperous the civilization.
I mean, just think about what could be possible by correcting all of these valuation errors and unlocking a global economy where so many countries just don't even have access. You know, this isn't going to happen overnight. You know, just like we talked about with Nick Carter's piece, Bitcoin at 12 or whatever. Like, this is many, many decades of work to really bring this to fruition. But the potential of this is unrivaled. What could you possibly be working on or working with that could be more important? I don't know. Maybe I'm just crazy, but <laughs> I love this shit. So, uh, great freaking piece. Uh, this, this is me not having any time to talk about it. Yeah, way to go. Um, uh, so, uh, Breedlove, uh, obviously Robert Breedlove, Breedlove22 on Twitter. Uh, and don't forget, I'll try to have all these links for the bottom so you can support his work. Follow him on YouTube. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Um, all available so that you can check him out. His stuff is amazing. And we have so many pieces of his on the show. In fact, I think damn near all of them, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. He's been writing for a while. And we've There's a lot of audio on this podcast that is some breed love pieces. So definitely check it out. Just go to BitcoinAudible.com, type, type breed love in the search bar, and uh, there's a plethora of things to dig into. We're going to close this out. I don't think I probably could go on for a whole lot longer, but uh, we don't need to this, this episode. Really long episodes this week. Um, we'll see how the rest of the week goes. I've got some really exciting crap about lightning. The lightning pool uh, of like marketplace thing. This is super, super exciting. And I've lightly dug into this, but I'm going to dig into it, dig into it a little harder and hopefully not sure if it's going to be a read or if I'm going to do a guy's take just digging into this, but that's coming, uh, sometime this week. So do not forget to subscribe to the show and share this out with everybody, you know, in the Bitcoin space, do not also forget to stack your sats with Swan Bitcoin and you can either support uh, this podcast. You get $10 free, by the way. So you're also getting free money by using a ref link instead of just signing up normally. So use somebody's ref link. Uh, you can do uh, swanbitcoin.com slash breedlove. I don't think it's breedlove22. I think it's just breedlove. Let me, let me confirm. Yes, swanbitcoin.com slash breedlove or swanbitcoin.com slash guy, and you will support either one of us and get yourself 10 free dollars. So whatever you do, get your free sats and start stacking with Swan Bitcoin. And of course, Hexa Wallet. Um, you want to withdraw, you can auto withdraw to your Hexa Wallet. Hexa is an awesome supporter of this podcast. They make this available to you guys, and they have an excellent mobile wallet, non-custodial, multiple account with varying degrees of security, a really clever key splitting backup system that prevents you from having to worry about losing your device and you can always restore it later. And of course, my favorite in-app batching. So check them out at hexawallet.io or just type hexa, H-E-X-A, uh, wallet onto the, into the Apple App Store or uh, Google Play. All right, guys, I'm out. Thank you so much for listening. We got some awesome stuff coming later in the week, so don't miss it. Some really exciting developments of Lightning. But until next time, guys, take it easy.
This has been a 111 production, and you are listening to Bitcoin Audible on the Crypto Economy Network.